What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Potty, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And we're back with another weekly recap episode. Uh, we're going to start off with our three up, three downs, talk about three good quarterbacks, three bad quarterbacks for the week, kind of how we started doing our quarterback recap performances this year. If you guys haven't checked out any of the other videos, go ahead and do so. Uh, then we're going to keep going with quick rapid-fire questions about the next week games to preview them uh, and a couple of random fun facts or notes we've seen uh, just watching along with the season and watching all these games. But before we get into that, just a quick shout-out to our socials. Follow us on tw- uh, Twitter at PD34 underscore and at RealRahulPotty2. As well, if you guys have been enjoying this uh, episode or do enjoy this episode have liked any of the other episodes please follow subscribe do what you can on your uh platform that you're listening to to support we'd appreciate it a lot and with that being said uh let's jump right into the three good quarterbacks pd i'll let you get into your first one yeah so my first one for this week an absolute dominant performance a master class um, by lamar jackson and you wouldn't know that from just looking at the box court but um Diving into what actually happened during the game, um, for me, six drops in this one, 87 air yards dropped in this one. So probably robbing him of a good 150 yards um, in this performance. So you can really see why the numbers don't align with what I'm saying here. Um, But yeah, Lamar was incredible in this game, throwing dimes all over the place, deep down the field, um, definitely gave his his team a chance to win. Um, 22 for 34, perfect passes. Um, that's 65%, which is a, a, a very, very good mark. He missed a few easy passes in this game, um, but I really didn't think he was even close to enough to detract from his performance. Threw an interceptable pass late in the game on a fade route where he just totally left it inside for Odell. Odell doesn't win, which makes it more difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that uh, a couple of sacks, not the sack fumble, but um, a sack to end the game where I thought he it's fourth down, he just has to get the ball off. Those are my only nitpicks. Um, aside from that, a ton of explosive in this one. He has a 26-yard carry um, on a critical third down early in the game. Um, in the third quarter, or in the second quarter, he has back-to-back incompletions where his receivers drop it. Um, Andrews first in a tight window in the end zone, and then Rashad Bateman um, again in the end zone for what should have been um, two touchdown passes there. Um, and then he follows that up with um, another intermediate completion and then throws a great pass for 29 yards to Zay Flowers. Uh, Flowers is wide open in this one, but ball's on the money. Um, in the third quarter, he has a 20-yard completion where he puts it a little bit high to Zay Flowers, um, and he's wide open, but a good pass nonetheless. And then a 30-yard completion uh, later on in the third quarter, this one to Aguilar. Um, a nice back shoulder where I thought um, it might have been a little bit of an unnecessary back shoulder, but um, the safety was coming over, and he definitely totally took away the hit uh, by throwing that back shoulder. And then a brutal, brutal, horrible drop uh, by Nelson Aguilar later in the third quarter. Um, it's second and six. Lamar just throws a beautiful go ball uh, to Nelson Aguilar right on his hands, and it just goes literally through his hands. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, um, some of the drop issues continue. Um, Lamar has uh, a nice 19-yard pass to Zay Flowers, um, and then a couple of passes 
where uh, his second last play of the game, I thought it was catchable-ish for Devin DuVernay, but um, a great play by the DB and Devin DuVernay doesn't survive the contact. Um, ball, ball gets dislodged. Could have given them a chance to win the game uh, on that third down, but um, sadly nothing happened there. Um, so Lamar with a dominant day that doesn't show up in the box score. And this is why I continue to stress that um, it's important to look past the box score and into um, things like drops and, and uh, supporting cast and stuff like that. So um, great day from Lamar. Uh, hopefully he can continue this play moving forward. Yeah, I absolutely agree with your last point there. And I think kind of a main point that we have on this show is that they definitely pays off a lot to dig deeper than the stats and look at how these guys actually played. Because with Lamar, it was the biggest example of it I've seen in a while, actually. Because Lamar's stats, as you said, did not look anything that pop you off, pops off the screen. But watching the game, I, th- I felt like he was very accurate. And like you said, the drops were an incredible issue for this Ravens team. <clears throat> I believe I watched the video and I saw a stat saying that this is the most drops uh that a single team a single team's receiving core has had all season or something along the lines of that yeah a lot of very good balls dropped for Lamar Jackson there and I thought he did play very well and this team as we've seen many times in the past is currently letting him down uh but moving on from one player that whose team is letting him down a lot to a player who's Team has absolutely uplifted him to an insane degree in the 49ers' dominant performance and Brock Purdy playing very well in that one. Uh, and in this game, it's not like Lamar's at all. Brock Purdy's game looks very, very good on the stat sheet. He was 17 for t- uh, 24, 252 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, no fumbles, only one sack on the game. And Yeah, he was incredibly impressive. That 17 for 24 does not lie. He was very, very accurate in this one. Early on on in the game, and I'd say like the first quarter, you do see Brock Purdy miss a couple of open guys. Uh, There was one on a Brandon Ayuk going on a crossing route. He misses him high. The ball goes incomplete. There's another pass uh, early in that game uh, to Debo that he misses, and it kills a couple of drives. But once he gets in stride, he was kind of lights out the rest of the game. Plenty of explosives in this one. Uh, We see one pass to Brandon Ayuk early in the second half, which was one of the tighter window throws of the day. Ayuk comes across the middle of the field, kind of on like an in route or maybe on like a little bit of a shallower cross. And he has a DB right on his back as well as a linebacker kind of draping him in front of him around the first down marker. And Purdy just layers it over the top of the linebacker right on the money for Ayuk to get a couple more yards as well. We also saw another explosive type of play to Debo Samuel, uh, something along the lines of 42 to 45 yards. And that was also just an incredible throw. And I think we've seen a throw like this a couple of times before to Debo, where Debo kind of just finds space deep in uh, other teams' zones. Uh, surrounded by a lot of players. In this one, he kind of was able to split the two deep high safeties that the Cowboys were running that play, and Purdy just delivers it right on the money, right down the middle of the field, and gives Purdy a huge gain. Another explosive came on a very interesting trick play uh, this 49ers team ran on one of George Kittle's three touchdowns of the day where they toss it back in the <laughs> on a, like a double flea flicker, flicker kind of thing, 
and Brock Purdy gets it and just launches it down the sideline on the money to a wide-open George Kittle uh, for a touchdown. And I'd say those are probably the three biggest plays of the day, but aside from that, he was also pretty accurate the rest of the way. You saw his synergy once again with Brandon Ayuk come into play. Uh, maybe not as much as other games, but he was wide open all day, and Purdy was getting it to him. George Kittle obviously having the best uh, game of his season. Every catch was a touchdown here, and all of them were on-the-money passes from Purdy as well. And I do want to stress that a lot of his production came in very early in the game because this game became a blowout so soon. And Purdy even came out towards the end. They ran the ball a lot of the second half. Purdy just came out and was lights out from the beginning and put up a very good performance. I would say he really didn't have any mistake. The only thing I have as a knock on him was the sack he took. I would say he was trying to do a bit too much, and we see from Purdy time to time uh, deal with that issue of trying to run around too much in the pocket. As well, another issue I've noticed with Purdy overall, not just this game, and it might be a size issue, but I think it may be – just him lacking vision a little bit, but I, I feel like more than any other quarterback in the league, he gets his balls batted at the line at an alarming rate. It happens probably two, three times a game. And usually you see maybe once a lot of games zero. And I don't know if it's because Purdy's on the shorter side for quarterbacks. He's not super short, but he is smaller. Or it may just be him not playing the windows correctly and not throwing it where the defensive linemen aren't in a position to just jump up and swat it down. So those two minor nitpicks, but other than that, he was incredible. He fixed the fumble snap issue that he seemed to have the last couple of games. So overall, pretty dominant performance from Purdy for me. Yeah, I would have to entirely agree. So um, I had zero negative plays from starting this one. Um, The sack, I thought it was just kind of a blown play. Um, I think someone messed up their blocking assignment. Um, in the same vein, though, um, I don't think he had any play other than the one throw to um, Ayuk that got negated by penalty. That was like, like on the level of some of the plays that uh, I just discussed for like Lamar Jackson, right? So he doesn't have the ability to go like 40, 50 yards down the field um, and be a field stretcher that way. But um, this was one of the best performances of the week, hands down for me, just consistent efficiency. And I love to see that. Um, from a player who's playing in a high-level offense. I think that's what really raises the ceiling of the offense is the ability to continue to execute, um, play low-error-style low football, um, and just kind of see what's coming open. And I think that Brock Purdy's vision uh, relative to his size, his anticipation is fantastic. Um, I think that's something that should be something we discuss on a future podcast episode when we discuss trait-based analysis at some point. But he already looks like one of the best anticipators in the league in his second year, which is truly amazing. Um, and he's very, very accurate, even with throwing the ball so early, it's kind of hard for your um, brain to create a mental picture of where the ball exactly should go. But Purdy is able to throw with extreme anticipation and be accurate. And that's a really deadly combo when paired with guys who can separate and a scheme that puts them in opportunities for yards after catch. So very, very impressive offense overall and Purdy kind of the ringleader of it in this one. Yeah, I do agree with a lot of what you said there about Purdy. I do think he's one of those quarterbacks, especially like you mentioned with just his build in general. He's not going to consistently beat you with 50-yard passes downfield like someone like someone who I'm about to talk about in a bit in Josh Allen can do. 
Uh, and like you said, it is incredibly difficult to process as quickly as he does and just deliver it on the money as accurately as he has been. But I think he kind of just has a knack for that, being so, such a long-time player in college and just kind of having a lot of experience at the quarterback position. I feel like he just has that knack or feel for the game that we talk about is crucial for a lot of quarterbacks. And that's why he's able to kind of feel those windows and deliver it on time to guys like Ayuk on those timing routes. Or even when Debo is having more of those quick fire routes where you just get him the ball and get him yards. He's always delivering those on the money as well. I just think he is the right fit for this. And the Niners have kind of lucked into getting a guy who is the perfect fit for the system because he has just enough playmaking ability to make something happen when things go wrong. So you don't have to completely worry about him being a statue in the pocket. But he also still very much plays like that game manager role that you kind of like. Not to be derogatory with that role, but more to just say how accurate and how well timed his throws have been all all season up to this point. All right, moving on from Brock Purdy to a quarterback who is in a disastrous situation. I would say the worst situation in the league. Um, There's a couple of guys who are close, like Mac Jones, but uh, Daniel Jones with the Giants. I think that this is the worst situation in the league right now. Um, And Jones was very good in this game despite the fact that the box score is very, very unkind to him. And it's mainly because uh, Darren Waller dropped two of his best throws. So um, the first throw that I wanted to talk about specifically was one late in the second quarter, um, a beautiful ball outside the numbers there at the 26-yard line of the Dolphins. And Jones throws a pass that should get them inside the five-yard line at the very least. Um, And it just goes right through Darren Waller's hands, a beautiful throw into a tight window. Um, And then there's another throw in the fourth quarter where um, Darius Slayton um, just cannot get his hands on it um, or get cannot get his feet down, um, just can't control the ball um, as he's going out of bounds. Um, and that results in another incompletion for Daniel Jones um, where he made a great throw there um, and he wasn't rewarded for it. For the rest of the game, um, he missed a couple of passes and um, was for, – for the rest of the passes, he was – mostly accurate um, through a number of accurate short passes. Um, in this game, he was 12 perfect passes out of his 18 eligibles that I counted, which is 66%, which is good, um, even for an offense that's throwing pretty short. Um, and so I think that if Daniel Jones had his passes caught on those two deep attempts, um, his regular box score would look a lot, look a lot different. Um, he took a ton of sacks in this one, four of them. Um, and I didn't think, or five of them, um, I didn't think any of them were his fault except one. Um, I was sending uh, Potty like clips and screenshots of the offensive line play, but these guys are losing in like half a second. Um, Daniel Jones has color flash in his face well before he gets to the top of his drop. There was even one play where he got two steps into his three-step drop and was already on the ground. It was it's it's a brutal offensive line, one of the worst offensive line performances I've watched in like the last half decade, which is really saying something because performance against the Niners uh, a couple of weeks ago was on that level. Um, and the performance last week against the Seahawks was disastrous as well. So um, yeah, really um, giving points of evidence for the way that I think that this team is putting, putting Daniel Jones in the worst situation in the league. Um, his receivers aren't very good separators either. Um, but yeah, even through all that, I think he put together a good performance um, and it's very hard to expect 
anyone, any any quarterback in this offense would have their production severely limited from what we would normally expect from them. Um, and Jones is no different. Yeah, we've I we did talk about the Giants' offensive line, and it is an absolutely shambles of a state. Like for one thing, you had mentioned to me, they have. I think one or multiple offensive linemen with literally zero PFF grades. And I was kind of baffled at that because I didn't even know that was possible. But when you watch how this Giants offensive line play, it becomes very apparent. I mean, like he, like you mentioned, PD, there are guards who are typically not really lined up against an elite pass rusher who are losing within like half a second of the play being snapped. They're turned around looking back having to hold or something to just make sure Daniel Jones isn't hit immediately. And their tackles are not playing well either right now. Uh, The only guy who could maybe have some value right now is their center, and even he's playing at a terrible rate. And when you combine that with the lack of weapons they have in the receiving core, I mean, Daniel Jones is and has proven last year that he can be a solid starter in this league, even an above-average starter. But there is no question that he definitely needs a good supporting cast to do that. He's not the mold of quarterback that will just succeed no matter what situation you put him in. And I feel like the Giants are absolutely setting him up for failure. I know they did bring in Darren Waller. Obviously, Saquon Barkley's out right now, and that's a huge hit to their offense. But you still have to be able to put something to better than what's going on right now. Because right now, I think all, all around every single position, they may have the worst in the league supporting Daniel Jones. Maybe you could argue Darren Waller's a little bit better, but the way they're playing offense right now, the way they're not really utilizing him, the way he's not really looking like the Darren Waller he was in the past, it's it's not looking like a, a pretty situation. Uh, the place where I disagree, and we talked a little bit about this outside of the pod as well, is I don't know if I'd necessarily classify this as a good game from Daniel Jones despite that. I, I do agree that he was in an egregiously terrible situation, but from my watch, from what I watched, from the throws he did make, yes, two of his best throws of the day from uh, to Darren Waller were dropped, but in general, I th- I did think that he wasn't c- consistently making like high level plays to where I'd consider him good. I thought he was just kind of there, so to speak, because yeah, he he was getting pressure right away. He was getting rid of the ball quick, but. It wasn't at an incredibly accurate rate. The reads he was making and maybe he was overrushed, but it was still nothing that popped off and thought to me, this guy is playing well. I just think he's making do decently with the situation, but I do think there's a lot of other guys who would look just as bad as Daniel Jones. And to me, that's not necessarily improving the offense and more so just kind of going with what the supporting cast has given him. So I wouldn't necessarily call this good. This is more like a average level performance to me, but I, I do see uh, your point here. And going to another quarterback in the NFC, kind of to a similar mold of the guy I just talked about in Brock Purdy, and similar to a guy who did play in San Francisco, or at least the run he's been on uh, in uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm talking about the Detroit Lions and Jared Goff here. And the reason I brought up Jimmy Garoppolo and something PD had mentioned is right now, Jared Goff is playing at a a rate similar to, I believe PD said, 2019 Jimmy Garoppolo, where he's still... 2017. Or 2017 Jimmy Garoppolo, where we still know he's still a 
the same player we've seen in the past. I mean, Jared Goff didn't overnight become this guy, but when he's not making mistakes consistently, he can go on a heater because he's very accurate. He's good at making reads over the middle of the field and getting it to his playmakers. And he's got a quick release. He's got probably, I'd say, a bigger arm than Jimmy G too. So his fastball is a little bit better. And when you're playing like that and do have a good system and good players around you, you can go on a pretty elite heater. And through five games into the season, that is what Jared Goff's doing. And that's why we wanted to bring him up because we haven't talked to, uh, to, uh, about him up till this point. And you can even see it from the stats. He was 20 for 28, 236 yards, three touchdowns, only two sacks, no picks, no fumbles on the day. And to me, even those sacks, one of them was more just a block shed issue. So really no mistakes here uh, on the day for Jared Goff. And I think the uh, craziest thing about this for me is much like I was saying with Brock Purdy, he's not doing it with a lot of explosives. He's doing it just marching down the field, hitting uh, his players underneath consistently, getting 10 to 20 yard chunks at a time. I mean, for his only deep play or explosive play in this game came on <laughs> kind of like Brock Purdy, that same flea flicker, flea fi- uh, flicker act of trick play action where he had Laporta going free down the sideline and hit him for a 30-plus yard touchdown. That was really the only explosive of the day, but even with that, there were still plenty of great throws throughout the day. And I think a couple of his best throws got uh, negated, actually, by... Uh, pass interference. I mean, for one, I think this was earlier in the fourth quarter. Uh, there was a pass in the middle of the field for like 20, 25 yards to Khalif Raymond. I thought that one was impressive because he kind of fitted in between the two middle linebackers there, got it in a very tight window with the corner draped right over him, kind of showing the Jared Goff touch and ability to, like I said, fire that ball into very, very tight windows. Later in the game, we see him pass the ball to uh, Josh Reynolds down the uh, right sideline. I believe it was going to be like a 30-ish yard play. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, there's pass uh, uh, offsides, which gets declined. But that was still a very tight window throw with the DB draped all over him. uh, And he still gets it there. And the pass I was referring to with the pass interference actually comes later in the game. Uh, it was a pass, uh, I think, again to – what's it called? It was, again, to uh, Josh Reynolds, actually. And it was deep down the left side of the field. Uh, it gets uh, – uh, C.J. Henderson pass interferes on this one, and Reynolds is still able to come down with it because of how well Goff places this ball. And it's just kind of a consistent theme with him. We've seen him week in, week out, not deep beat uh, – teams deep over the middle of the field, firing shots 30, 40 yards downfield. It's these consistent right over the middle of the field or even to the sideline because he does have a little bit of a bigger arm than most of your game managers, and he's able to fire it on like a comeback or out route, get the ball there. You also see him consistently getting it on slam passes, deep ends, crossers, and Lions have developed the system where – They've completely made it fit Jared Goff's uh, playing style and ability. They're not asking him to do things the Rams maybe did. And they're 
they've built this uh, successful run game and he's able to build off this elite run game from David Montgomery with the play action. It simplifies the game for him, cuts off the middle of the field a lot of the time and gives him easy dump offs to guys like Brock Wright, Sam Laporta, even some to your Marvin Jones of the world. And yeah, Jared Goss just on a heater right now playing very, very well. Yeah. To add on to the point with some numbers, um, Jared Goff, 28th of 34 quarterbacks in average depth of target um, among guys who have at least 50 pass attempts. So they're keeping things closer to the line of scrimmage than your average team in the league. Um, Goff is excelling in terms of accuracy, putting the ball where he wants to right now. Um, his chemistry and his synergy in the offense looks fantastic. I'm really enjoying the way he's playing. Um, very cap- Goff has always been capable of going on these type of heaters. Um, if we can think back to 2018 with Goff, um, that Thursday night football game where he threw for 400 something yards and five touchdowns, like uh, against the Vikings. He's uh, oh, also the the Chiefs game, the Rams Chiefs game, like one of the great regular season games of all time, where he just absolutely obliterates the Chiefs defense. Um, he's capable of going on these incredibly um, hot streaks um, because of his willingness to take chances, um, his accuracy, um, and very very good arm strength. I would say. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to let this one develop in terms of his play over the course of the season. But this is a fantastic start, and um, he probably is somewhere in the MVP race right now. Um, He's been absolutely on a heater. Um, All right. So that'll – oh, one more. Um, So let's go to another NFC team, Um, this one with the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. And Hurts was fantastic in this one um, against the Rams. Not – the highest scoring output that we've ever seen from the Philadelphia Eagles in the past few games or fast past couple of years. But um, I thought Hertz was very much amazing in this game. So it started off solid in the first quarter. He threw a fantastic touchdown pass to Dallas Goddard, where he looked off the linebacker at the second level and then threw into a tight window to Dallas Goddard um, running some sort of in-breaking route, if I remember correctly. Um, just a very, very advanced play um, that really was impressive for a guy of Jalen Hurts' skill set. Um, he also had a nice tight window throw um, to A.J. Brown earlier in the quarter for an eight-yard gain. Um, the second quarter was where things kind of started to take off. So he threw a perfect throw um, into a tight window to A.J. Brown, 27 yards down the field. Um, I wouldn't call this a drop, but A.J. Brown could have made this really difficult one-handed catch. Um, and I give credit for Hurts on the throw um, because it's not really possible to throw a better ball there. It was simply outstanding. Um, he missed a couple of throws in that second quarter and then came back with, um, or also had a sack and then came back with a string of, uh, he had a first, first he had a nice yard, nice run for 12 yards um, where he broke a tackle on a quarterback draw on third and nine. Uh, very, very impressive play there. Um, after a short completion and a couple of runs, um, he finishes the quarter off with a string of um, shorter completions and runs, and then has a 37-yard completion to A.J. Brown, where um, throws a perfect pass that A.J. Brown kind of has to uh, stick his hand out with just or just make a one-handed catch in order to fully keep his stride. Um, Brown could have caught that with two hands, but he would have probably lost a little bit of momentum. Um, so that was a great play for 37 yards. Um, and then Hurts absolutely hits a heater in the third quarter. Um, so he has an eight-yard completion off a short pass, um, and then a seven-yard completion, and then throws a 49-yard touch or 49-yard pass uh, to Dallas Goddard, where um, he's scrambling outside the pocket um, to his left and throws a perfect pass to Dallas Goddard 
26 yards downfield, who takes it for almost 50-yard gain. Um, has a nice intermediate pass for 10 yards, and then throws an interception, which I thought could have been a miscommunication. I think it could be argued either way. Um, after a couple of short plays, he has a really nice run uh, for 17 yards where he breaks two tackles on a scramble on a third and seven um, and picks up 17 yards. Really, really impressive play. Um, and then after an incompletion, he throws um, another very good pass or another solid pass to A.J. Brown. This one's a little bit behind him, but 24-yard completion nonetheless. Um, and then finishes off the fourth quarter with a couple of nice passes. So um, after a short pass for five yards and a couple of incompletions, he has a 36-yard pass to A.J. Brown where he just absolutely drops a dime um, for a big-time gain. Um, and then um, to finish off that drive, just a couple of short completion and, and short completions and runs. Um, so in composite, I thought Hertz played a fantastic game. Um, could argue if that interception was on him or A.J. Brown. Um, still not sure at this point, but regardless of whether you think that was on him or not, this game was absolutely amazing. Um, and now it's back-to-back games where Jalen Hurts' deep ball has been cooking, and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles offense looks absolutely back to life, and I'm excited to watch more of it going forward. Yeah, and one thing I want to start off with, and we talked about this a lot actually outside of the podcast, and the reason I'm a little bit lower, but not really that much lower on this Hurts game is that interception. I would say uh, I would lean more to the side of it being more his fault, but I could see it being just the overall miscommunication that shouldn't be faulted by anyone. I see the argument for that. To me, I just would would say it doesn't seem like it was A.J. Brown's fault as much as it was Hurts, but at the end of the day, he absolutely makes up for it and more with the rest of his game, and I think the, the, what makes this Eagles offense absolutely like elite to the point where really no other team in the league can match it is how elite both their run game and smash mount down the middle of the field game is, as well as them just being able to torch defenses downfield with the Hurts deep ball to A.J. Brown. And we haven't really seen it to Devonta Smith yet, but once that starts firing, it's going to be tough for teams to guard. And as a 49ers fan who likely is in a two-team race with this Eagles team, it's not great to see. But as a football fan, it is very nice to see this Eagles team kind of move away from just going up the middle with DeAndre Swift all day long. And granted, they still do it. Swift is still getting his carries and whatnot. And they should. I mean, this offensive line is dominant. That uh, uh, QB sneak is dominant. But when Hertz is able to connect downfield with A.J. Brown, with Dallas Goddard, we see how dangerous this offense can be. And I don't know how many teams in the league have anything at all to stop it, really. Uh, But moving on from one guy who really fired off with that deep ball to another in Josh Allen, and he also played very well. And to me, it was kind of surprising to see how he ended up with a good game because uh, looking at this first half, I honestly wasn't the biggest fan of his first half. And one thing about Allen, though, is you can really never rule him out of a game as having played bad or having played good, no matter how many mistakes he he makes because he can always come back and have uh, explosive after explosive and make up for any mistake he's really made. 
And that's what he did in this one. Uh, he His day total is off at two, uh, 27 for 40, 359 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. And I'll get started with that pick because I do think that was probably his biggest mistake of the uh, of the day. And to me, lowers this pass from, or this game from an elite level game to probably, it's still very, very good, but this game easily could have been in the elite category. And for me, that pick was just a little bit, not only unnecessary, but just a play we've seen Josh Allen make so many times, and it's a little disappointing, even though you're asking for him a lot, because the situation is, he has, I believe, Stephon Diggs deep, and it looks pretty clearly that he has beaten the safety deep on the post route. Allen is a little bit late, but that's more due to pressure and him moving around in the pocket. But what ends up happening is Diggs still has uh, the safety beat deep, and Allen just kind of has to layer it either to the sideline where Diggs can either run over and get it or just launch it towards the end zone. And maybe he just simply didn't have the arm strength for it. But he kind of, he underthrows it, makes it more of a 50-50 ball that I honestly say the safety has a better chance at getting. Diggs does try his best to come back and go up and get the ball. But it does become more of an easier pick for the DB here. And the reason I'm not the biggest fan of this pick is in a third and 15 situation, uh, he did have someone on the right sideline open probably 20 yards downfield, which could have picked up the a first down and gotten him. But I do think the best play on the field was that Diggs pass. If he's able to make it, it seems like maybe his arm was just a little bit not strong enough. Granted, it was like a pass that goes like 50, 60 yards down the field. So it's completely understandable if he can't make that throw. But because he's not able to make it, it ends up being like a little bit of a 50-50 ball and obviously – more, I'd say, like a 70-30 in favoring the Jags DB. But outside of that, I'll move on from that because he was pretty much lights out the rest of the day. Even though he started off shaky to start, I felt like a, a lot of his incompletions came early in that game. He was a little bit flat and inaccurate to come out. But at the end of the half, he has a drive uh, where he's able to take the Bills downfield and score, and I think that's where things change. We see a pass uh, all down the left side of the field to Hardy uh, for roughly 20 yards where he fires it in in a very tight window with the DB draped all over him. I'm honestly surprised the receiver like Hardy was able to catch this ball who isn't necessarily the best receiver in the world. Uh, but the my favorite pass of this drive, and it was honestly kind of just because of how easy he made it look. It was kind of it was the touchdown pass to Diggs down the sideline at the end of this drive, and the reason for me this play was so nice, and it looks like a simple pitch and catch, but Diggs doesn't really have a whole lot of separation from the DB down that sideline, and honestly, most quarterbacks I feel like try to float it in towards the back of the end zone, and give maybe like a fade pass there, or maybe even make it a 50-50 ball for their receiver. Uh, because it's somewhat of a tight window because there is a safety lurking in that area. But Allen's just arm strength is so strong and his ability to fit it into tight windows is so good that he just fires it right in front of the DB and drops it right in uh, Stefan Diggs' hands. And it just looks like a simple pitch and catch, but that's really not an easy throw to make. And then later in that early second half, we do see a couple more of those drives where he... He doesn't look too accurate. We see that pick, 
And I think that sometimes Allen does need that interception to almost fire him up because it seemed like when he came back the next drive, he was a completely different player. Uh, we see him fire right down the field to Gabe Davis for 25 yards. Uh, that was a tough catch from Gabe Davis too. And I'll skip real quick to the end of that uh, that play or that drive because that may have been easily my favorite throw of not only this game, but maybe even the week. Because we see Allen under pressure in the pocket. He's forced to kind of scramble forward downfield. And while he's running like mid-stride, we see him throw the ball and just fire it with so much force. And it's crazy to see him be able to fire it that hard on the run, and there is a DB draped all over Gabe Davis. Honestly, there is no window there for him to throw it, but he just fires it with so much force, and he throws it low in the front of the end zone, as quarterbacks are expected to do. Gives only Gabe Davis the chance to get it, and Gabe Davis is able to snag that ball, bring it in. Very, very incredible play from uh, Josh Allen, not only to fire it in there, but do it on the run and make a play out of uh, 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 something that really wasn't there. And even the following drive, uh, we see him once again have a, pr- a, pr- a pretty impressive drive. It starts off uh, going deep left down the field to Hardy. I think this one was more of just a blown coverage. But once again, uh, Allen is just able to make things happen very easily. Another pass on this drive the, down the right side of the field to Gabe Davis for another roughly 30 yards. And this was also one of my favorite plays of the day because it seems like there is uh, – because yeah, I feel like all the time I'm saying when it's to Gabe Davis, there's no separation. But, yeah, he's not the best separator in the world. And once again here, he was not really open. And Allen's just able to fire it into him despite pressure, kind of stands in there, uh, withstands the pressure with his big frame. And he's able to fire it in there. And unfortunately, the next drive, Stephon Diggs fumbles the ball. And Allen does not have an opportunity to come down and win this game for them. But all those explosives we saw in back-to-back drives and also that drive at the end of the half absolutely make this a good game for me. Uh, But I will end off on just a little bit of the issue I have with Allen's game here. And I can't call it bad or anything even derogatory, really. But when you're on the caliber of an elite quarterback like Allen, and this goes for guys like Mahomes, Burrow, etc. too, I really thought this was a winnable game for the Bills. And I do think had Allen come through on one of those other drives and just kind of showed the same kind of sense of urgency and dominance he did on those drives when they were down so much and he was backed into a wall and forced to do it. And this is an issue I have with guys like Herbert as well. It's just I don't understand why it takes a situation like that for him to kind of come back and make this a game because, I mean, at the end of the day, we saw, even though it wasn't his fault, a slight mishap like a Stephon Diggs fumble ended this game for them. And had they showed up earlier in the game, maybe they didn't have to have that final drive. And a lot of that's not just on Allen. It's on the rest of the team as well. But when we have plays like that interception or multiple drives earlier in the game where I felt like Allen was just missing his guys and the that's why the drive was not continuing, I think that comes back to haunt them here uh, and the uh, why this game ends up in a loss. Uh, but uh, honestly, that's more of a nitpick here. Uh, in general, I really only had an issue with the pick. And other than that, still a very good game. All right. 
So let's talk about the bad quarterback for this week, three down. Um, and I'll start it off with Dallas quarterback Dak Prescott. And on the flip side of that, Brock Purdy coin, um, the Niners defense was absolutely lights out in this game. And Dak was horrendous. Um, and there's really no way to say it other than that. Um, in terms of the impact on the scoreboard, I don't think it really had that much impact. But of course, we, we have to impact or we have to evaluate the impact in a vacuum. Um, and if this game was closer, um, some of the errors and bad plays by Dak would have been a lot more prevalent um, in terms of des- deciding the game. So in the first quarter, they absolutely got nothing done. Um, after uh, on his first pass, he misses um, an open Luke Schoonmaker um, 18 yards down the field. It would have been a nice way to start the game. Um, there was another incompletion where it was pretty much covered to Gallup. There's there's really no, nowhere to fit that pass. Um, after a couple of short completions, he takes a sack, which I didn't really think was his fault, um, on third and three. Um, and then in the second quarter, um, he has a short completion after an incompletion and then has a sack, which I thought was his fault, um, a scramble for one yard, and then a couple of short completions for seven and three yards. Um, and then he has a 20-yard completion to Tony Pollard, um, or to, to Ferguson, rather. Um, and yeah, he didn't really do much on this play. This pass was a few yards past the line of scrimmage. Um, after an incompletion and a short completion that went six yards, he throws a beautiful pass for a touchdown to Kevontae Turpin um, for 26 yards. So that's his one great pass of the day. Um, after a short completion for five yards and a couple of plays where the Cowboys didn't really get much done, um, Dak takes a sack to end the half, which I thought was on him. Had a chance to maybe get rid of the ball a little bit earlier. Um comes out in the third quarter where they barely possess the ball um, because of the way that the Niners were playing. Um, has a nice pass for 29 yards to CeeDee Lamb. Um, yeah, good throw there. Um, and then a seven-yard pass on a short completion um, and then a six-yard pass. And he throws a brutal interception where um, this one is just throwing up a post or um, a go ball um, to Brandon Cooks with a safety there. Um, it's make matters worse. The pass was overthrown, which makes it not even a jump ball into double coverage. It was just um, a pass to the DB, which is to Sean Gibson, I think it was. Um, and then he has an incompletion where CD Lamb just just drops it um, 15 yards down the field. Lamb just has to make a better play there. Um, he has an interception where the DB just goes through Michael Gallup's body. I didn't think that one was on him. He has a 26-yard completion um, on a screen pass to Tony Pollard. Um, and then for his last pass of the game, throws a horrendous pass. Um, it's a slant, and the Niners like very easily read it out. Not a good concept at all, but Dak really can't throw that. Oren Burks just um, totally baits him into that pass. Pretty terrible interception to finish off the day. Um, so not much volume for Dak in this game, um, and his level of play really was not efficient at all to make up for that. Um, so yeah, this this one, second really horrendous game of the year for Dak, and Hopefully he starts trending in the right direction, but this was not the time for that. Before I respond to Dak's game, man, as a Niners fan, this was probably one of my favorite games to watch in a while. The way this Cowboys team was just absolutely dismantled from start to finish. It was beautiful to watch, but on the side of Dak Prescott, not so beautiful whatsoever. And I feel like Dak has kind of become one of those quarterbacks in this point in time. And I feel like we've talked about with this with other guys as well, where once things start to go wrong a little bit, 
things just start dogpiling because he doesn't seem to have the confidence to be able to shake off like one mistake here to and he just compounds it and makes it worse and worse and the reason I say that is because I felt like a lot of the first half Dak wasn't necessarily atrocious but he was just he wasn't playing well necessarily and I think with the crowd and the Niners defense consistently getting more and more you know, hyped with every single play happening, things started to get worse. And that's why we saw the kind of downpour of Dak playing poorly in that second half with pass after pass. That was just quite, I had a question what he was even thinking. I mean, that second interception, first of all, made me think that way because he completely misses his guy by like maybe 10 yards. And it doesn't even look like it's a completion or a attempt to throw a completion to its receiver because it goes directly to, I believe it was Gibson on that interception. And the second one, like you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily the best concept. It was pretty obvious that he was trying to go over the middle of the field there, but he still throws it directly into the hands of Oren Burks. I can't understand what he's thinking there. And overall, even before that, when he wasn't looking as bad, the accuracy was just nowhere near early on in the game he was missing plenty of passes just wide open guys and a couple of times early in this game the Niners actually got lucky they did blow a couple of coverages and Dak simply wasn't able to make the play it was honestly kind of sad to watch because this Cowboys team was supposed to put up a fight this was supposed to be a good game one of the better ones of the week in fact and the Cowboys just simply didn't show up and put up this disaster class uh, but going on from one disaster class to another one, and honestly, this one was so disastrous that PD advised me not to do this one just because of how bad of a watch it is. But I had to do it because of how bad this team was and this quarterback was, and this is the Patriots and Mac Jones. And we were talking about how bad the Giants offense is. This Patriots offense might be worse, and they don't really have the same level of offensive line terrible play but the receiving is just atrocious on this team and I thought Ramondre Stevenson would look good on this offense he'd be able to feature a little bit and help Mac out but he has not looked good this team can't run block and even pass blocking they're okay but it's still just not enough because the receivers can't get open And with all that being said I do still think this is a bad game for Mac Jones because of kind of the consistent mistakes he was making in this one. And it starts off like very, very early in the game with the pick six. We see him get swarmed in the pocket a little bit and he tries to step up and make a throw. And the reason to me, this is still a interception. That's his fault. Despite him, he was hit on the throw and that's why it kind of looks as bad as it was. It just floats in the air right in the middle of the field to Tyron Matthew, I believe. And he runs it in for the easiest pick six of his life. Uh, But the reason I thought this was definitely still a Mac Jones problem is because if you look at where he was seemingly trying to throw the ball, it was to another guy who was pretty covered. And granted, yeah, on most plays, you can just assume uh, everyone on this Patriots team was covered. But on this play, I did see someone open up on the right side of the field, which uh, given Mac Jones' vision on the play, he, it should have been something he should, oh, he was able to see. I think he makes the wrong read there, tries to throw it into 
coverage and something that honestly could have ended up being double coverage if Matthew makes his way over. Uh, but this interception ends up being becoming a little bit easier for the Saints team because of how atrocious the New England blocking is. And it makes it just kind of throws it up on a plate for uh, the Saints defense. And I will say the second interception, I would say, wasn't his fault. He Mac Jones does make a throw on the money to his guy and it gets hit out of his high hands and popped up into the air for a pick. However, he does make up for it with another turnover-worthy play in this game. And this is probably one of the worst ones I've seen of the day. It was a Mac Jones fumble, and it wasn't your traditional fumble because it wasn't just him getting hit on the play and fumbling. He literally misses Ramondre Stevenson on a pitch and throws it behind him, and that's why the ball falls to the ground and the Saints are able to pick it up. And I think this kind of ties into what I said about Dak where – Mac Jones has thrown that pitch like thousands, maybe not tens of thousands of times in his career, I'm sure. And every time I'm sure he's able to get it on the money. And this one, I think because he's flustered, because he's already made bad plays on the day, he's looking not confident. Uh, That's why this goes the way it did. Uh, And it ends up being a pretty bad fumble for this Patriots team. And if I do want to give him some props here and there, I will say there was one good pass on the day to Kendrick Bourne. Uh, It was a 28-yard pass. But outside of that, uh, even if we're excluding the mistakes, he was pretty terrible in terms of passing the ball, too. Uh, If he did miss the pass of his 10 completions of his 22, uh, it was because he was trying to push the ball downfield, pretty simply put. He was not able to make any pass really outside of your simple check down, quick outs, uh, quick comebacks, quick slants, really uh, something what looked more like a rookie quarterback play. They had to kind of limit the playbook to allow Mac Jones to run this offense because he wasn't able to be aggressive whatsoever. And for the second week in a row, he gets benched for Bailey Zappi here. And Bailey Zappi is not good. Bailey Zappi came in and was three for nine for 22 yards. He's not good whatsoever. So the fact that Mac Jones is getting benched for him is ridiculous. And even the two sacks, they both come on consecutive plays at the end of the half. Both him having guys open, and I think he was trying to hold it to try to make something more happen, maybe go downfield. And he just holds it simply way too long, gets destroyed in the pocket and sacked. And I was honestly surprised that it didn't happen more this game. But I think it's because Mac Jones was a little bit... Scared and was just dumping the ball off as soon as he could, not really trying to make anything happen. So atrocious game for me from Mac Jones, despite it not being the best situation in the world. Yeah, one point of disagreement before we uh, move on to the next game. Um, I think you're giving them, the Patriots offense, a little too much credit by saying any element of them is good. So I would like to just point out that the pass blocking is also poor. Um, (laughs) Okay, okay. in, I'm, if you could, if you could see me right now, I'm I'm throwing up the air quotes. They have Antonio Maffi, uh, Vidarian Low, Calvin Anderson taking significant significant snaps for them. And so, uh, when you throw those guys out there, their their pass blocking is going to be pretty horrible. They had uh, another air quotes. Uh, if you could see me right now, City Sal taking snaps for them in the first game. Um, so, when you have these guys, they're going to allow pressure really quickly. Um, Vidarian Low just just consistently getting beat off the edge with Mac Jones, not even dropping that deep in the pot. It's just, it's like, 
he he if you put any quarterback here they're like i said with daniel jones they're gonna look a lot worse than they actually are um maybe not to the level of daniel jones because those some of those guys on the offensive line probably don't deserve to be on a roster but uh, these guys the, the patriots have multiple backups in and their backups are horrendous they, they're just allowing pressure extremely quickly um saints defense is strong but they're 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 looking like the the 2000 ravens over there with with the way that they're blocking so um yeah i would like to just point that out i i don't think any element of the patriots offense is is good right now um all right so let's move on to um, another offense where I could say the same thing, um, and that's the Carolina Panthers and Bryce Young. Um, I put myself through this every week because I like Bryce Young's game, um, and I really think it's important to check up on the rookies every week. Um, but Bryce Young, below average game again in this one. I thought there were some flashes of explosives, which I'll get to later in the game. Um, when the game was a little bit more out of hand and they started pushing it a little bit more, um, to try to get some explosive plays, Bryce Young responded a little, responded well. Um, so in the first quarter, has a couple of short plays, uh, some incompletions. Um, typical it's Carolina offense things. They don't really push the ball down the field very well. Three throwaways in his first six dropbacks. Um, and then he throws an interception on the screen pass where I thought, so the design of this play is is just like, it's, it's, it's like a non-viable. So Ian Thomas is running a block and release screen against Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson, and it's on the quarterback to just trust that that's going to win. So I just, I, I couldn't find it in my heart to, to say that that was Bryce Young's fault. Maybe he could have dirted it, but like just following the actual design of the play on that one, um, I couldn't say that he was on Young. Um, after a few short completions where they were able to pick up a couple of first downs, um, that brings us to the end of the first quarter. Um, Bryce has an incompletion and then a short completion, um, and that gives them a touchdown. Um, and then he throws one of his worst passes of the year for his second interception where um, he's throwing to an outbreaking route. I think it was an out, a deep out or a corner um, where he just – it's covered two, and he just doesn't think that the cloud corner can make the play. Similar to an interception that Anthony Richardson threw in week one. Um, and, yeah, Young just – just doesn't see the defender, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a short completion for nine yards and then a nice pass that leads to a 31-yard gain where he puts it on the money to Thielen. Um, after a couple of – or after a short pass, um, he has three straight incompletions in the red zone, and that forces them to uh, kick a field goal. Um, had an opportunity to maybe hit Thielen um, on the second and 10 play, but um, misses him by a little bit. Um, in the third quarter – not much going on again for the offense. Um, a couple of short completions for 12 and 8 yards, um, and then back-to-back sacks, um, one on an intentional grounding, where I didn't think that they were those were his fault, the pass blocking just not present. Um, after a short completion for 6 yards and an incompletion, that brings us to the end of the third quarter. Um, and then the fourth quarter, Bryce was actually very good. Um, had a couple of short completions for 11 and 6 yards and then a 10-yard pass, um, and then an 18-yard completion where he hits DJ Chark, um, passes a little low, but um, good completion nonetheless. And then throws a great pass to Ian Thomas um, for a 29-yard completion down the seam. Um, and then has a couple of plays where um, there's a couple of short completions uh, for eight and zero yards. And then an 11-yard pass where he hits Thielen um, over the middle for an 11-yard completion. Uh, after an incompletion and then a throwaway, um, he has a play where, um, who is he targeting here? DJ Chark. Um, gets forced out of bounds, um, and so he wasn't able to make a play on the ball. 
um, and then finishes the game off with a couple of short completions for um, an eight-yard pass and then a touchdown to Adam Thielen. So that fourth quarter, you can see there's not really many mistakes at all, no negative plays in that fourth quarter. He was playing at a very high level. Um, earlier on in the game, brutal interception on his second one, um, interception for the offense on the first one, which I didn't think was really on him. Um, a couple of missed passes here and there. There's flashes of anticipation that show up consistently for Young. Um, and I think just from a box score standpoint, um, throwing multiple touchdown passes and putting up a good number of yards, despite the fact that he had those two interceptions, um, it is something more encouraging for the public to see. Um, but yeah, I, I see I see growth from where Young was in week one and week two. Um, and yeah, at this point, the Panthers are not in a good situation at all, and that's kind of all you can hope for. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. One thing that I do have kind of a qualm about Bryce Young that I have had kind of since we've even been in the draft process looking at it and I've noticed in the Panthers' offense a little bit, I feel like with some of someone of his stature and frame, because of that, they haven't really been able to do the simple offense, which is what we've seen with guys like Purdy or Jared Goff, you know, and someone with uh, Young's elite uh, accuracy and anticipations should, in theory, be able to do it. But I feel like because of his uh, stature, we haven't been able to see those quick fire passes over the middle of the field. And I don't know if that ever develops. And with a lot of the other smaller quarterbacks in the league we've seen recently, they make up for either with a rushing ability through the middle of the field, which you could say with a guy like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson just had elite uh, playmaking ability and was able to just run around outside the pocket and make something happen. And Breeze was just an anomaly where he was still able to go to the through the middle of the field. Uh, what do you think Bryce Young's kind of answer to that aspect of the game being missing for him? Because I do definitely sense it in the games I've seen of the Panthers. Yeah, I think that it's something that we'll have to watch develop. Like for for the for the state that the Panthers are at, there's there's no like good answer with the receiving core the way it is and the pass blocking that the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. I would just say like. For, I'll give you an answer probably um, when we do the rookie checkup episode and just kind of see if that's kind of developed since then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess moving on to one of the quarterbacks who I just mentioned in Russell Wilson, and he's definitely in the bad situation now because he's not doing uh, what – well, what I expected him to do in terms of playmaking ability anymore at this point in his career. And I'll get started right away with kind of the elephant in the room with his uh, performance for the day. Because I think outside of this play, it was shaping up to be another decent performance. Uh, maybe even it wasn't good like some of his other games. But it wasn't looking too bad. But yeah, uh, one, one of the biggest mishaps of the game he has here is the end of the game. He has one final drive down three to kind of bring this team back and win them the game. And honestly, at this point in the season, obviously, I think most people seeing this Broncos probably wanted them to, or as Broncos fans, wanted them to lose because this team clearly has no future and there's no reason to win this game. But I did think it looked like Russell Wilson was trying to come down the field and win this game. And we see him on a play where... 
Uh, there's a free rusher that comes down the left side of the offensive line, and I'm not really sure how that happens with 30 seconds left in the game, and you guys are trying to drive downfield. But we see him come free, and Russell Wilson sees it, starts running to the left side of the field, and has probably one of the worst fumbles I've seen in a very long time. It almost looks like the Jets player had to just tap it out of his hands with how lackadaisical he was holding the ball with the game on the line. It was kind of ridiculous to see. And I know I want to jump right to that, but earlier in the game we saw him fumble and he got a little bit lucky because I believe it was uh, either uh, Traymon Smith or someone like that who was able to just pick it up and make up for it. But in this part of the game, the Broncos and Russell Wilson were not so lucky. Russell Wilson fumbles it. It goes down the uh, left sideline of the field, and the Jets corner is able to pick it up and run it in for a touchdown to win this game. And it's a little bit unfortunate because I think at that point in the game, he was not still not good, but it was he was playing okay given the situation, given how bad this offense ha- uh, is talent-wise. And how good this Jets defense has been compared to a lot of other elite teams. This Broncos team didn't necessarily perform that bad up till this point where Russell Wilson kind of fumbles the game away. And even outside of that, I think that kind of tied into a common theme we saw with Russell Wilson in this one where, yes, his blocking wasn't bad, but the Jets were able to get a lot of sacks, not really blitzing. And it was because I felt like Russell Wilson was trying to dive into that playmaker bag we've seen a lot in the past and do a bit too much to make something happen. And he was just messing up timings of plays, taking bad sacks, and consistently just ruining drives as a result of that. And another issue I had with his game overall in this one is kind of the lack of pushing the ball downfield. And I get it's the Jets. I get his receivers were not covered. But when your top three receivers in Mims, Judy, and Sutton are getting 50 yards from Judy, 13 from Sutton, and four from Mims, that's ridiculous. You can't win a game of football playing like that where your top three receivers are getting like less than 70 yards on the day. And that's purely because Wilson was not trying to fit it into tight windows. He was very content with taking the check down to guys like P. Ryan, Troutman, McLaughlin, He wasn't trying to fit it into those tight windows. And I think it's because he's been criticized so much for throwing picks in the clutch or maybe because he just doesn't want to feel like it's put on him, this loss. But he's being ultra conservative. And when we see him play bad defenses like the Bears or the Commanders, he's able to torch them because he has guys downfield and he's still able to make those throws. But when they come up against better defenses – it just seems to me like he's trying to play it too safe and it's ending up costing them. Yeah, it, it's, it's a rough situation out there in Denver. That's all I'll say um, for my own sanity. <laughs> all right, let's go to a team who's looking on the up or was um, until their quarterback that I'm about to discuss got injured, and that is the Colts. Um, so Anthony Richardson in this one. So he started off playing pretty solid. Um, a, a short completion and then a pass where he didn't really do anything, um, where he threw it a little bit behind to Josh Downs going for 15 yards. Um, and then a couple of incompletions and then short completions for six and seven yards. Um, nice four-yard completion and then a very nice 13-yard completion where he hits Alec Ogletree with great velocity for a 13-yard gain. Very impressive pass there. Four-yard completion where he didn't really do too much and then an incompletion. 
Um, and then he throws a really impressive pass, one of the more impressive passes of the week, um, where he's backpedaling on an important third and 16, drops an absolute dime into a tight window with two defenders there to Josh Downs, 30-plus yards down the field, big 38-yard gain, uh, very impressive play. Immediately follows that up with a 17-yard loss on a sack where he throws a backwards pass that counts as a fumble and a turnover-worthy play as a consequence of that. Um, so immediately erasing the impact that he had there. Um Throws a short completion for seven yards um, and then has a run on a read option where he goes right, um, picks up four yards, but gets driven into the ground, lands on his shoulder. And that's the end of the game for Anthony Richardson. Um, Very unfortunate ending. Gardner Minshew came in and played an admirable game. But yeah, the focus on Richardson, the reason he's in the bad is that this is the second injury in a very short period of time for Richardson. And I would say the severity of these injuries is a little... Actually, a concussion is, is a normal injury for a guy who's taking a ton of contact. But um, a grade three AC joint sprain, probably a pretty unlucky injury for, in terms of how much time he's going to miss and the impact that it'll have on his season. Um, Richardson was always a guy who was going to be very involved in the run game. And my hope is that when he comes back from this injury, he's not going to be limited in terms of the volume of carries that he gets um, because that is such a huge element to him bringing impact. Um, And I'm especially concerned if that shoulder injury affects his velocity because um, that's one of the biggest parts of his passing game is the ability to push the ball deep down the field, um, over the middle of the field in tight windows um, with that arm strength. And yeah, this is a really, like really sucky injury for um, the development of the Colts franchise as a whole. Um, And just got to hope that he comes back healthy and tries to continue to minimize the hits that he takes. Um, I saw evidence of him trying to grow in that sense. And I think the Colts are a smart organization. There was a play, um, I think, in um, one of his games back um, recently where he just kind of slid on a sack where um, he just didn't take the hit. So um, just kind of looking to see more of those little things going forward um, in in his game will help avoid injury going forward, I think. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said about Richardson there because I'm also someone who, since watching him in the pre-draft process, I got a lot higher on him, and it really sucks to see him consistently just deal with all these injuries, and I know some of them are unlucky or whatnot, but I do think it kind of ties into the overall issue we had of him earlier in the year where he is taking a bit too much contact than he needs to being a franchise player, being a quarterback, he has to get better at that. And then obviously that's not what happened here, but we did see that with injuries in the past. And then you never know how things can linger, how things can compound. Uh, It's just a bit of an issue, but I, one thing I did really like about Anthony Richardson and on a past positive note, even in this game and especially the previous game, we saw plenty of flashes from him. Uh, One of those throws, I think you mentioned where it was down the left sideline where he just threw an absolute dot in very, very tight coverage. That's a throw that very few people in the league can make. And there's a couple of times I've seen Richardson and thought, like, there's not very many quarterbacks who are doing this. So, yeah, it sucks to see what what happened to him. And hopefully we can see him back this season and continue to improve because we've seen plenty of quarterbacks with – that kind of talent never reach it because injuries. And looking at one quarterback who you could arguably say it almost happened to in the Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa. And to me, honestly, I'd argue this game is maybe harsh to call bad. I'd definitely say below average. 
Uh, but I think the reason it's kind of that, like, weird kind of game, because Tua does make a lot of incredible plays. And if you look at kind of his basic stats sheet, you can see he's 22 for 30, 308 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, one sack, no fumbles. And you can see from the completion percentage in general, he was quite accurate in this game. He had multiple explosive or one pretty big explosive in this game and a lot of consistent just yardage. His synergy with Tyree Kill is, was insane, which I will get into in a second. But I think by far the thing that brought him down and kind of to his problem in general, and it really showed in this game, is the pro- proneness to throwing picks. And these picks were really, really, really bad. Like, two of the worst picks I've seen all season, and that's probably why he has fallen to this category. And the first one was probably the worst one by far. This really resembled that Kirk Cousins 102-yard pick six because I believe it was the exact same thing. And you see Tua in the pocket from the roughly the five-yard line. He throws it right into what seems to be double, if not triple coverage. He throws it right into the chest, fires it right in the chest of a linebacker. He's unable to catch it. It pops up, but luckily for the Giants, another DB is there because of because Tua threw it into such uh, uh, incredible coverage. Another guy's right there to clean up the pick and just grabs it and runs it all the way downfield. Another thing that bothered me with Tua on this play is after that pick, he makes no effort to kind of go downfield and try to get the guy who intercepted this pass, much like Kirk did and famously got laid out. Uh, not really sure why the lack of effort there was shown. And the second interception, I'd also argue, was very, very bad. He was in the pocket, and it seemed almost like he gets hit in the arm. Watching it live, I thought he may have got hit, but watching it on, on film, I don't think he even gets hit on this play. If he does like get touched, it's because he scoots up in the pocket and kind of makes himself come very close to the nose tackle who was seemingly getting a lot of pressure. And he kind of just throws a duck. It sails over Jalen Waddle's head as he's trying to run like a drag to the left side of the field. He throws it like three, four yards past where Waddle is supposed to be. And he probably should have hit him trying to go down the sideline, but he throws it upfield. And it becomes another really, really easy interception for uh, the Giants. And I think if this was a better team, they absolutely punish the Dolphins a lot more. Uh, probably come away with this one because of the magnitude of mistakes Tua makes in this one. Because it's not like outside of this he was bad. Outside of this, I thought he played relatively well if you exclude this. That touchdown pass down the sideline to Tyree Kill for 70 yards was incredible. Tyree Kill, as we've seen many times in his career, beats a DB just on a simple go route. And Tua delivers it right on the money. It it was very Bama-esque the way he just layers it down the sideline with elite anticipation before... He'll even gets open, kind of trusting his speed to just get him open. And he just delivers a dime there. And kind of all day in general, Tua's synergy with Tyreek once again was incredible. Uh, he looked solid off the play action because of how good A-Chain was. It was really just those two interceptions that sink the game. And it's super unfortunate, but he's got to clean that up. All right. So that will wrap up our three up, three down. Uh, just goes three good and three bad performances each that we wanted to talk about. Um, so let's look at our questions for next week and our preview before we jump right into my 
uh, most notable things from the charting that I did this week. Um, so I'll start it off this week with the questions. Uh, my first question is for you. Do we think that Bryce Young shows signs of life again versus the Dolphins? Um, and do you think that the disastrous offensive line has a chance to match up with the defensive line um, and maybe show some ability to make explosive plays with DJ Chark still on the mend um, and Jonathan Mingo still working into form? Uh, to be completely honest, no. I really don't expect a bounce-back game from this Panthers offense or Bryce Young, and mainly because of what you said with that uh, matchup there. This Panthers offense has kind of proven to be pretty atrocious at this point in time, and one thing the Dolphins has gotten really good at uh, this season, and kind of seasons prior as well, but this season particularly because they have the uh, personnel for it, bringing in guys like Jalen Phillips is they like to bring a lot of heat. They like to bring heat in creative ways, and they do get to the quarterback uh, pretty well. And against, uh, maybe not against some of the better teams, but against teams like this Panthers offensive line, I do think they'll get a ton of pressure. And I really don't think uh, Bryce Young will have a lot of time in the pocket. Uh, I think he'll get rushed a lot. He'll get sacked a lot. And so far up till this point in his career, I mean, we did see in college that he could pick apart teams that are bringing a lot of pressure, but I think because of his lack of good receivers around him and lack of personnel that can get open quickly, he really doesn't have that option to get his uh, the ball out quick to a hot route or something along those lines when he's under duress. And like I one thing the Dolphins, I feel like, have been really good at is cutting off that middle of the field and forcing teams to beat them down the sideline. I think a big reason why is because teams did that to Tua, and he kind of had to adapt. And I don't think Bryce Young is at the point in his career yet where he can adapt and be able to consistently uh, beat, uh, beat teams throwing outside the hash marks. And I think one of the biggest issues is going to be this Panthers receiving core matching up against a decent solid secondary in the Dolphins. And I think the Dolphins have guys like Xavier Howard who can ball hawk. I expect a couple of picks, uh, at least one from Bryce Young in this one, and probably another rough outing. I, I expect a blowout, as I think most people do uh, with this game. And, yeah, I'm I'm not – I don't think this is going to look too good for this team. Uh, but moving on from that game to a cross, uh, another cross-conference matchup between teams, and this is going to the Eagles-Jets game. And I wanted to ask, how do you think the Eagles' deep passing game that has kind of come alive the last couple of weeks will fare against what has proven to be an elite secondary in the Jets' secondary so I think that um, the deep passing game, the Jets are like exceptional at limiting that type of stuff. Um, just their ability to continually change coverages and make it confusing for quarterbacks. I think at, over the last three weeks, um, quarterbacks have had some of their, like I think every single game, honestly, um, the quarterback who has faced the Jets has had their worst game of the year, whether it be yeah. Allen or Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. Um, so I, I think it's very possible that Jalen Hurts has that again. Uh, this week, one thing that I will say is um, a possible leak for the the Eagles to take advantage of um, is the fact that I don't think that the Jets really cover tight ends well, um, and so the potential for Dallas Goddard here is kind of significant. I think he can maybe run through the middle of the field, take some short passes, uh, make yards after catch opportunities better um, in this game. 
Um, and I also think that about someone like AJ Brown or, or even Devontae Smith, like um, their ability to go through the middle of the field on shorter passes, um, it might be something to, to target because I, I just think that trying to test the Jets deep and, and trying to work their secondaries is not the way to go. So, um, yeah, J- look for Jalen Hurts to throw a number of shorter passes, utilize his legs, the ground game, uh, to try to beat this Jets defense. But, um, yeah, I just, I just I think the Jets defense is, is pretty special, and, and they continue to make quarterbacks look bad. Um, all right, so let's move on to my second question. Um, also an AFC East quarterback in this one. Um, so does Josh Allen keep the momentum rolling um, or do the Bills have any chance or do the Giants have any stat, any chance to stop the Bills? Um, and how many points do you think that they put up against the Giants in this one? Uh, to answer your question, <laughs> do the Giants stop the Bills? The answer is absolutely not. Uh, the Bills will definitely keep rolling. I don't see any answer in that Giants secondary to stop Stephon Diggs, who has been on an absolute heater right now. And speaking of heaters, so is Josh Allen. He's been playing incredible. His accuracy looks a lot better uh, than we've seen in even previous years. And that's always been maybe a weaker point to his game. And I think it's starting to get to one of the stronger points in his game. Uh, I think that Josh Allen run game is something we haven't really seen thus far into the season. And with how weak the kind of linebacking core and middle of the field of the Giants team has looked this year, I think they're just absolutely going to cook down the middle of the field. (laughs) Ironically, with James Cook too, probably. And yeah, I just don't see the Giants having any answer for this really high-powered Bills offense. I think their only hope is going to be uh, praying their where they only had their only real weapons on this defense, and they haven't looked like weapons necessarily thus far. But they do, do come in the pass rush, and I think the only hope the Giants have is if they can maybe get home to Josh Allen on four. But even then, Josh Allen's one of the hardest quarterbacks to bring down in the league. And he seemed to have no issue making plays under pressure thus far. So I think the Bills put up 35-plus. I wouldn't be surprised if they put up 40. Don't think 50, because <laughs> that would be a bit insane. I think the game goes out of hand before that. But definitely a very high-scoring game. And moving on to another kind of cross-conference matchup. We have a lot of those this uh, this year. Or this week, I mean. Uh, And moving on to another primetime game in the Monday night game. And my question is, do you think the Cowboys' defense bounced back and are able to put up a better performance? Or do you think Justin Herbert is able to cook the Cowboys' defense much like Brock Purdy did? Yeah, so I think that um, there's some pretty significant opportunity for the Chargers here. Without Trevon Diggs, I think their secondary is much weakened. Um, I really like Stephon Gilmore, but at this point, I'm not sure if he has the consistency or the legs to be a number one anymore. Um, so I think that a diet of quick passes to Eckler, to Keenan Allen, forcing the Cowboys to consistently tackle, um, they didn't do a very good job tackling at all against the Niners um, and passing stuff off in space. Um, and kind of th- that's kind of the Chargers' bread and butter. Um, the one thing I will say is that I don't think the Chargers offensive line is particularly suited at all to block Micah Parsons. So that's an opportunity for a, a big time performance there. Um, and maybe he just kind of throws off their whole game, but getting the ball out quick, um, f- forcing them to be horizontal um, rather than just kind of stationary where they can just um, 
create havoc and, and um, make interceptions. That's that's kind of the style that I see from the Chargers. Um, but yeah, the Cowboys definitely played their worst football in terms of defense last weekend, so I wouldn't rule that out of the uh, equation at all. Um, all, right. all right. So I also had a question about this game, but on the other side, so that's perfect. Um, do we think that Dak bounces back this week? Um, the note that I made is that the Chargers defense is very weak at defending in space, tackling, uh, defending the run. Um, they're kind of weak at everything, but I, I just wanted to emphasize the, the parts that they're most weak at. Um, so, yeah, do, do we think that Dak and the Cowboys offense can bounce back this week? Well, in emphasizing their weakest parts, you did kind of talk about their entire defense. So we can kind of sum it up in this defense being relatively weak. And I do think Dak uh, does bring it back. I don't necessarily think he has an amazing game, but I will say this Chargers secondary has gave up significant yardage to pretty much everyone else in the passing game up till this point. And they really have no answers for guarding elite receivers. I think guys who are good runners, good separators, uh, are always going to have a field day against this team. And I think Dak, even though he has shown accuracy woes, uh, recently, I think he's still accurate enough to where he's going to be able to deliver the ball to guys that are wide open. I think C.D. Lamb has a field day against this Chargers defense. He hasn't looked the best necessarily because of how Dak has looked. Uh, but I think against the weak Chargers secondary, he pops off. Even guys like Cooks and Gallup, I think one of them also has a big day in route to helping out uh, Dak Prescott kind of get out of this. I don't expect him to throw many picks because unless he throws an egregiously bad pass, I just don't think the players on the Chargers are going to be in the right positions to make this happen. Uh, I think Pollard has a much, much stronger game in this one. He was pretty much neutralized against a really good Niners rush defense. And that should allow Dak Prescott to also kind of pick things up, uh, work off the play action a little bit even. I think Dak has probably one of his better days uh, of the season so far against, yeah, a pretty bad Chargers defense, to be quite honest. And I think if the Cowboys defense plays like they did last week, there is potential for a shootout. Uh, but And really uh, quickly popping into what you said, uh, I do think it goes kind of under the radar how well we blocked Micah Parsons and that being the reason as to why this defense got cooked as bad as it did. Trent Williams did an incredible job and I just don't see anyone on this Chargers team doing that. And moving on to from, oh, did you have something to say? No, no, no. Um, uh, you, you can go ahead. Okay, and moving on to my final question of the day, it's going to be, who gives up more points, the Vikings or the Bears? Oof. Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with the Vikings. It's like shocking to say about a Justin Fields offense, but uh, Bears offense has like shown signs of life from a play-calling structure standpoint and a yeah. design standpoint where they've kind of gotten Justin Fields on the move early in games limited the amount of pressure, um, like specifically talking about the Thursday night game. Um, early on in the game, the Bears had good pass protection, allowed Justin Fields to get comfortable, and I think his confidence from um, a standpoint of sticking in the pocket was raised, and he started delivering throws and making nice downfield passes. So, um, yeah, I think it's if, if it's a big if, but if the Bears just kind of stick to what Justin Fields is good at, there's some potential to put up points against the weak defense. Um, and the other side of the ball, like without Justin Jefferson, elevating KJ Osborne, who's having a rough season, um, 
and expecting a little too much probably out of Jordan Addison, even though he's a good player, and TJ Hawkinson. Uh, probably not the most prudent thing, even against a weak defense. I think that um, they'll severely miss um, Justin Jefferson and probably won't look like the top five offense that they've been functioning as um, for points this year. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with the Bears, but I definitely could see the Bears coaching staff just throwing any sort of rhyme or reason out the window and just putting up a stinker on offense. That's definitely in the cards. All right. So let's wrap it up with one statistical tidbit. Um, and this one was about Tua. And I was – so I mentioned um, earlier to Potty that um, I didn't think that his performance was um, average as I thought before um, I did the charting. But I wanted to finish off with something positive for Tua. So um, in terms of his accuracy this game, despite the fact that he threw two picks, um, he was incredibly sharp. He completed uh, a number of his passes and had 71.4% of his passes go – uh, as a perfect pass. Um, and most of that is because the Dolphins kept the ball close to the line of scrimmage. So in terms of intended air yards, um, they threw the ball on average 4.75 yards by my eye um, past the line of scrimmage. Um, and it was kind of a quick passing day for the offense. And we kind of think of the Dolphins as a super explosive team that utilized the intermediate areas of the field to make plays. But um, in this game, it was a number of short passes and he had a couple of counters um, with uh, a Tyreek Hill pass, which was ill-advised, um, 25 yards down the field or so, and a great touchdown pass, 30 yards down the field, um, that Tyreek turned into a 69-yard touchdown. Um, but yeah, that was the one thing that I wanted to mention is that the Dolphins had a very explosive day on offense despite two two uh, bad interceptions um, and a low average set the target. Yeah, that ties in very much to what I was saying about Tua because it was really just those two picks that brought him down. All right, that'll be all from us in this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do whatever you need to do on whatever platform that you're listening on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at P34 underscore and at Potty 2 That'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yeah, we could be